right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Anti-Tech Cast. I'm Griffin, and today I'm joined by Jesse Dustin, the uh, founder of Heartland Goats uh, and heartlandgoats.com and the author of the new book, The History of Nicholas and the Oracle of Knowledge. That's, did I get the title right on that? Yep, yep, yep. Hi, right, thanks for coming on. Jesse, how are you doing? Good, good. Super, super excited to chat with you guys. I, I love what you guys are doing and, and just keep keep plugging away. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, uh, we love what you're doing. Uh, uh, you know, getting the word out there about homesteading and how to do some of these things. You recently uh, or um, you sent us an article that uh, you wrote about uh, what is it called? Why and how I quit Silicon Valley and started a goat farm on homestead.org. A nice little inspirational tale, uh, especially for people that are still living in the cities, still living in tech society and are feeling a lot of these same things and maybe don't know how to go about um go about getting out of the system uh and, yeah and, uh, so i guess uh, could you could you tell us a little you know obviously you're uh out on a goat farm now in uh um in the sierra mountains right um yeah and, and, yeah uh, so i mean I, I was these i was you know i grew up during the you know when computers were coming out big you know my first computer was an apple 2gs and then i had a tandy sensations it was a windows 3.1 computer and and I was just a, you know, a young guy who, who fell in love with technology and such. And, and, um, you know, all through high school, I, you know, I was like the computer nerd in the back room, you know, working away in the computer. My, my senior, um, project to high school, it was me and, and a Japanese foreign exchange student, you know, we built some computers for our high school project and, and, um, you know, I, I, I used to love technology, you know, it had big libertarian dreams for, you know, the wild west of information. And, and, you know, after high school, I, I went to, um, I grew up in New England and Massachusetts and I went to uh, Institute of Technology in, in Boston there. And, and I graduated with a computer engineering degree. And, and I was like, you know, I'm going to be a tech worker, you know, I'm going to be an engineer the rest of my life. Right. And, you know, I, I really loved music. Music was kind of my my thing, and and so I, I worked for my longest stint was uh, almost ten years at uh, a company called Avid Technology, and they make uh, Pro Tools and Media Composer, and all the equipment that goes into making mass produced media. And and you know, I I I liked working there. You know, I, I liked being an engineer, but it's like. You know, I think that I think that as engineers, we had like these big utopian ideas, you know, wanted to, you know, bring open source software to the masses and, and things like that. And over time, it's like the 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 the, the product owners get involved, the product managers get involved, the marketing people get involved. And and it's just we had good notions of how technology and music can be better. But uh, I mean, just just look around you today. I mean, no, I don't think many people would say that the music world's gotten much better. Um, <laughs> and and my my mentor at the time, a guy named Rob Silfast, who works at Apple now, he he recruited me and a couple other guys to leave Avid Technology and go. Um, we started a research and development office in Silicon Valley, and we, we were doing work for Gibson Guitars and and you know these, these big players in the music industry. And it was, it was while I was working in Silicon Valley, I just kind of, you know, it's just no, no place to live. It's no place to start a family. It's, 
Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, being stuck in some little dingy apartment that costs you know, $2,000 a month. It just didn't make sense. And at some point, I, 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 there was another uh, kid from Massachusetts. He had a website um, from insidethebox.com. And he was this kid that was working at Google. And he moved into a box truck in the work parking lot mm-hmm. to, to try to save money. And I was like, dude, that's genius. You know, I can, <laughs> I can get out of my apartment. I'm just going to go buy a camper and I'll live in the work parking lot. And, and that was kind of my, I had no plans to start a farm. I had no idea of this stuff. I was just trying to save up some FU money to get the <laughs> hell out of Silicon Valley. But it was, it was kind of living in that camper and living a minimalist life in that camper, you know, I realized that I didn't need much stuff to, to be happy. I realized that I didn't, I didn't need all these bells and whistles, all this technology that surrounded me. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that I, I never wanted, you know, now that I lived in a camper, I never wanted to be around the Bay Area. I never, never wanted to be around San Francisco. I was any free time I had, I was off in a canyon, off in some mountain somewhere. And I just, I just felt more at peace amongst nature. And it's just, it just, it just made me sad that how much, how much humans have disconnected themselves from that type of stuff. You know, it's like, Everyone thinks they need a, you know, a TV or YouTube or whatever. Everybody thinks they need a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that they need all these comforts to be happy. And I just found that I was much more happy with less stuff and, and in nature and away from all that technology. Um, you know, at some point I, I ditched my smartphone and I got a flip phone and nice. And I just, I just found I had more time to, to read and write and, 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 you know, I, I, I met my wife and, and we have two sons now. And I guess I just kind of questioned all the stuff I, I was brought up believing in. And, you know, during this journey, it's, it's like, I could see little pieces of this when I was in Massachusetts, I actually interviewed with Ray Kurzweil. Oh wow! Because I I was I was like, oh Kurzweil, he makes keyboards and pianos. I love that. And then I go to interview, and it's like, wait a minute, no. he doesn't make pianos anymore. <laughs> it's like he, he's some kind of transhumanist. Uh, you know, it's like uh, you know he's one of those guys that's that's pushing this kind of. Huxley, Brave New World, mm-hmm. and and then you know I'm sure as you know I, I started reading uh, Uncle Ted, Ted Kaczynski there, and Elul, and and uh, Rene Guénon, and mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff, and even even like um, some more modern writers like um, Chris Mage is a guy who wrote a book called Small Farm Future, maybe mm-hmm. a year or two ago, and um, it's just just a whole nother point of view, you know, he's a a British, I think, sociologist. And he's just saying the only way out of this mess is if everyone starts having small farms, you know, Mm. and it just, it just became more and more obvious to me. I I read uh, Penty Lincola and, and all these guys. And, and I never had time to read this stuff when I was working in Silicon Valley, I never, I never had time to think about the stuff. I was just too busy. I was, 
you know, busy, you know, working on projects, working on stuff to, to line people's pockets with, right. you know, and, and it's just so, I think when I have this discussion with people, most people are nodding their head in agreement. Most people get yeah. this stuff. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's some populate, there's some percentage of the population that, that doesn't get it probably never well, but you know, especially since COVID and whatnot, people, people totally understand what I'm saying. Um, so it's just kind of, it's so obvious to everyone now that we're kind of becoming slaves to technology. We thought that the technology would help drive humanity and it's, it's the other way around. It's, it's, it's like the technology is enslaving us. Um, the, the cheap, shiny baubles and trinkets from overseas Everyone realizes this stuff. Um, it's just, are you are you willing to step out of it? You know, um, right. smartphones and technology. It's kind of fractured our culture. It's fractured our country. It's it's turned us all into these little, um, you know, what what pleasure are you partaking in today, sir? <laughs> you know, the jouissance, as as the French or, or Zizek would call it. You know, it's like we only know what we what pleasure we enjoy that's like the nation in itself um yeah. it's just kind of sad and and I, I guess now it's like my my goal is to to be an example for other people to follow that that you know there's a way out of this that that you don't you know you don't need to become a slave to the machine like we've become yeah it's not as uh it's not as required as it seems like it actually is i know that like I agree with you. A lot of people seem, you know, a lot of people are nodding their heads. Everybody seems to be kind of aware of the issues that are at play, but there seems to be also be this like paralysis that's happening where even though people are aware of what the issues are, they still can't pull away. Most people still can't find a way to pull away. Maybe, I don't know if it's like uh, the social connections that they've made through technology. And so they feel that they have to keep it around in order to keep those connections. Is there like a, a core reason in your view that is like why many people are, are having trouble taking that first step, even though they see what the issues are? What do you think it's keeping most people back? I can just say for myself, if I had never embraced a minimalist lifestyle, if I had never moved in that camper, I think I would have remained a slave to that system. I think that people are in their comfort zone. You know, they're, they, they like sitting in their lazy boy. They like watching their TV and people are unwilling to change. They're unwilling to step out of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, that the consumer culture has done a great job of placating people, keeping them docile, keeping them entertained so they don't ask too many questions and and i think a lot of it is is the politics keeps people entertained a, a lot of people you know they're caught up into this politics stuff and oh, i yeah. used to be as well you know and i think that it's like i think people think that like oh the the government is in control or something and i, I think it's the the technology and the media it's like they drive the daily narrative, they drive the daily train wreck, and it keeps people entertained. Mm -hmm. And and that's it, you know. I, I you know I'm not I'm not one of those like doomsdayer guys. I don't think there's right. going to be some cataclysmic event. I, I think that it's just the the death by a thousand cuts, just the drip 
drip, drip of just an erosion of humanity. You know, I, I, um, I watched your interview with uh, West Northwest and, and yeah, I mean, it's like the, the mind is under attack. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every, I, I, she, she was talking about how, you know, people are just staring at cameras now. And I appreciate that she used a phone, phone call yeah. to call in. And it's just, you know, like she said, you know, technology is replacing us with itself. Um, and, and yeah, there's a large percent of the population that is too far gone. I guess where maybe I disagree a little bit with um, West Northwest is I do think that each person can do something by themselves to make a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that as more people do something else and others see that example, um, you know, they'll 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 start switching over to to the other side. Another other group of people I always bring up in these discussions is we we're all torn up about politics and all these things going on in our world. I don't think the Amish give two crap about <laughs> any of this stuff. Right. You know, they're off living their life, doing their thing. And I just, I, you know, there's a lot of people in, in some more extreme circles and they're like, Oh, you, you, you can't go start a farm. You know, you'll be uh, you'll be Ruby ridged, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, the Amish haven't been Ruby Ridge since the 1600s people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this idea that, 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 you know, there's a lot of doomers out there and, and they basically, a lot of them are like, you can't do that. You can't go start a goat farm. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that we just need more examples of people doing this stuff. And, and there, there's, you know, there's plenty of people doing it. There's plenty of examples out there. Um, we just need to showcase them and, and highlight them. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I like to think that that's what we're trying to do is highlight some of these cases and yeah. uh, get some of those examples out there more so people can see them. And I, you know, I, I definitely, uh, I agree with your sentiment that I, I feel like we've talked with a bunch of people that have this feeling, you know, they, they, they want to escape the system. They want to like start some kind of small, small form community. They want to have some kind of like, maybe even to, to use like, I don't know if that term, this term is the best, but like some kind of commune or a farm or so just kind of like smaller, close knit community, try to get further uh, towards that end of the spectrum. Um, but a lot of people are, it seems are kind of like um, discouraged from that. Um, they hear stories of these other communes that try to get started and how they eventually, you know, get shut down by the government or whatnot, or they find that sure. they, uh, they aren't able to detach themselves from the system uh, as much as they want to. They still like have to, you know, get some supplies every once in a while from town or, and so they're, sure. they're not getting like the full, um, uh, you know, the full separation that they're looking for. And so, and then, so then they're kind of like left in a state of paralysis too. But I, I think that what you're doing, like even, um, I don't know if it's, if those types of people would um, think that you, your path is as extreme as they want it to. Uh, it's, I think it's still, it's still going in the right direction and it's, it's still, yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting because like you, you mentioned communes and stuff and, and like my background, I, I was, I was a, a technology libertarian guy when I thought of kind of leaving that world for me, it's like, Oh, I'm going to go galt, man. (laughs) And, and when I did it, that's when I started thinking about, 
I, I guess I started thinking about the Amish a lot and, and I started thinking about how they really have created their own parallel society. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over that, that they have issues too. Right. You know, I've talked to, I've talked to people in the Amish community and, and the biggest um, roadblock to um, an Amish couple getting married and their happiness is that um, the Amish man finds technology Hmm. And it's actually porn is the biggest uh, separating point in Amish marriages. And, you know, you find this stuff out and it's like, yeah. So, I mean, technology is screwing them over too. Yeah. Um, technology, it's not just here. It's not just destroying all car, our culture. It's destroying all the cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that we, we, we tend to focus on our own and it's no, it's all of them. And it's just, it, it's just, you know, it, it breaks my heart to, to, to hear this stuff and to find out that, that technology is creeping into that community as well. But, you know, Silicon Valley and the technologists, they're leading the charge for a self-centered life, a life built around whimsical pleasures, mm-hmm. uh, whim worshiping, a life of jest. So you don't notice the real issues. And, you know, everything is replaceable now smartphones cars you the endless scrolling you know i I think that as a young libertarian i thought that the internet would be the wild west and it was turned into las vegas you know it was turned into las vegas always online in your pocket you know used to enslave your mind um so it's just kind of you know a, a, a wise man once said, "Like, don't always assume that that what's labeled as progress and innovation is really that. Sometimes, without mm-hmm. realizing it, we're not going forward. We're actually going backwards. And and people think that it's inevitable that things are improving, and and that's an illusion in, in a lot of cases. You know, you read, you start reading this stuff. You know, books from the 1800s, and you're like." They were grappling with these same issues, these yeah. exact same issues. And it almost you get the feeling that the 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 people that were on the other side, on our side, they lost. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's like like other people have said, you know, the the people's power process is gone. People are people are stuck in surrogate activities. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's that's no world to raise children in. It's, it's not, it's not a a cohesive world for a family. And, you know, yeah, that's just, that's just kind of how, how I, how I came to this conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is sad. I know you've mentioned uh, a couple of times about how like you, uh, you met your wife after you uh, started living in the camper and kind of going along this path. Right. Um, I'm curious just because like, you know, I, I think a lot about, um, uh, you know, my family is still very much living in the tech system. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and Mine too. Mine too. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so like, um, I guess I, I wanted to ask, like, what kind of struggles or difficulties did you face when you were trying to like follow this journey and this path of like exiting the tech system? Were there like some relationships that you had to abandon? Did it make it harder to communicate with some people that you didn't want to let go of? Or like what kind of issues do you think you faced there? No, I, you know, I haven't had any issues like that. I mean, the only ongoing issue is when you talk to people in that outside world, 90% of the time they want to tell you about something they watched on TV. Yeah. <laughs> 
hey, I, I haven't had a Netflix subscription or HBO Max for, <laughs> for five years. I have no idea what you're talking about, you know? Um, no, most people, when you explain this to them, they get it. They're mm-hmm. just unwilling to disconnect from it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's like I, I, I was asked, someone asked me recently, well, did any of your Silicon Valley folks, did they give you a hard time? And it's interesting, I had to think about it. And my first reaction was, was no. When I, when I told people what I was doing, they were like, right on, man, man that's awesome. <laughs> but then thinking about it some more, it's like I, I, I had some old college buddies come by my farm recently. And, and I was explaining this to, to this, some of them. And, and one of them, I mean, you could tell that you could tell that he was so into the technology world. He just didn't even want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Didn't, you know, like, how there's nothing wrong with watching porn all the time, man. I mean, what are you <laughs> talking about? It's like, and I'm just, you know, so there's a lot of people that are just followers. And until there's a critical mass of people that have disconnected, they're always going to be um, defending that kind of dystopian world they live in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think part of it is admitting, admitting that it's that, that the technology taking over our lives is wrong. It's, it's too much for them to bear because that would be admitting that a lot of what they've done in their life was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And I think for some people, that's a, it's a tough one to admit. And I, I'm, I, I'm more than willing to admit that I wasted a lot of my life, you know, watch be watching stupid stuff, you know, doing unproductive things. And, and when I, when I started like um, writing a lot and, and, and I, and writing a book, people were like, how did you, how long did it take you to write that book? And I was like, Oh, just a couple months. And they're like, how did you have the time to do that? And it's like, well, I don't have a smartphone. I don't, you know, yeah. what else am I going to do? I mean, you know, so, you know, it's just, yeah, there, there's naysayers out there, but they're, I find they're few and far between that, that people, like I said earlier, especially since COVID, I think before COVID mm-hmm. this, you know, I, I almost think it's divine that I, I disconnected from society in 2018 because like before COVID, yeah, this kind of was a hard argument to make to some people mm-hmm. after COVID. Uh, most people get it. Most people get it. You know, that's interesting. So uh, I, I guess I want to ask you, cause so you, you dropped out before COVID dropped out, so to speak. Did, uh, how did COVID affect you or how did you, how was your experience with what went on? Was it like, dra- I'm sure it was drastically not as dramatic as what most people went through. It, until I left my, until I left the farm, I had no clue what was going <laughs> on out there. And still today, like I'll go places and I'm like, I just can't believe this is still happening. I'm surprised that people are still wearing masks and such. I just, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, I'm, there was an, there was a meme going around during COVID. It was a picture of some Amish people. And it was like, <laughs> Hey, how's COVID affecting your community? And the caption on the guy was like, it isn't, we don't have a TV. <laughs> and that's pretty much what it was like. Uh, you know, 
I would go out into the world and people would tell me these updates and I'm just like, wow, man, I just, I <laughs> can't crazy. believe people, <laughs> yeah, I just, I, yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe people are still falling. For, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting too. It's, it's like, I get the feeling that, and I've always had this feeling that like Europe, it's like they're in a, in a, in a tougher spot in some case. It's like, if you really want to meet some doomers out there, go talk to some Europeans. Mm -hmm. And, but on the flip side, it seems like America, America is way more corporate. Hmm. And, and it's like, it seems like Americans are way more, Hey, yeah, we got to get the fifth, sixth booster. <laughs> and it seems like, I, I feel like Europeans are starting to be like, wait a minute, like what's going on? You know, <laughs> all these boosters can't be good for our immune system, you know? So I don't know. It, it's, it's like, I feel like different parts of the world are, are uh, slightly more accelerationist than the other. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like almost in America, it's like, it's the corporation's rule, you know, it's, yeah, there's not much more to it, you know? <laughs> right. It's not, it's not a democracy. It's a corporatocracy. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, you know, that was the, for me, at least being a, a former libertarian, that was kind of the last kind of eye opening thing for me was, was just kind of. Um, just, just even in, in Ted's manifesto, the, how could conservatives embrace technology and not think that it would destroy any sort of traditional life that they, yeah. they, uh, wanted, you know, it was, you know, so it's just kind of, you know, there's certain things that I think for different people are eye opening, and, and that was one for me. Yeah. I, I think it, uh, um, you know, you said COVID has been eye-opening for a lot of people. It seems like, I don't know, it, right now it's getting a lot more intense. It looks like, at least in Michigan, we're going to be going into another lockdown. People all over the place are getting infected. It's crazy. Um, you know, due to technology, it's allowed really dense populations and really high populations to live in areas where, and so it transmits really quickly. And then you get all this mis misinformation being spread around because now everybody talks via Twitter and uh, nothing is verified. And um, so like the truth gets lost and uh, more people get infected because of that. And um, yeah. And then, so it's like, who knows, who knows what's real anymore. And so we're just get, get lost. And then people just like, kind of uh, uh, it's like a learned helplessness, you know, that they kind of fall back into um yeah and uh, yeah and, and yeah covid was like for 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 i'm not an accelerationist uh, i'm probably what you'd call a decelerationist mm -hmm. but covid was the accelerationist's wet dream yeah it 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 pushed the world forward five to ten years at least mm -hmm. and i think we're only going to get more of them more more pandemics whether they're of a a disease variety or a technological variety or nuclear or some other type of thing. It's, yeah. It seems like that's the the kind of path that we're going down. Um, I, I did have a question. You, you mentioned earlier uh, when you're talking about um, the uh, Amish and uh, you mentioned like Mennonites in your book. And uh, I, I like that as an example. I haven't really, interestingly enough, I feel like I haven't heard uh, people refer to the Amish very much when talking about these things. Um, but they're totally like, yeah, they totally have built their own parallel society they're living a non-tech life in within a technical 
um, nation. And so it's like, it's crazy. And yeah. but you, you said how like, you know, how tech is kind of encroaching on them a little bit too. Yeah. I wonder, is there anything, um, is there any kind of like tech that's been encroaching on you since you've kind of started this farm and stuff? Is there it's like some kind of technological dangers that you still have sure, to be sure. aware of? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the downside of COVID is when I moved out here and I bought land, the land prices were were fairly um, stable in rural areas. COVID seems like it's pushed. I mean, I, I think I'm I'm stuck here because I would never be able to leave because it seems like, and I saw it during COVID, properties near me that have gone undeveloped for hundreds of years mm-hmm. or just started being bought up. Um, people started paying the asking price. People stopped haggling. Um, and it seems like that that overinflated land price of California has now spread. The Californians are spreading to you know Florida, Tennessee, Alabama, Texas, Idaho. And and it saddens me that that it's it's becoming harder to do what I've done. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just you know I remember looking at prices in Idaho years ago, and they're double, triple, quadruple what they were pre-COVID. Damn. So it's it's you know I, I joke with people now. You know maybe it's time to start looking south of the border at Mexico. Maybe <laughs> it's start. You know, maybe it's time to start looking at South America or something. And I actually talked to someone from Argentina recently, and he led me to believe that the land prices weren't that much lower. So, oh, wow. so it seems like the COVID has has accelerated the push for um, people to exit the cities. Mm-hmm. One possible good outcome would be I don't I don't know I I I, I have no insight into this. <laughs> Is there going to be some kind of renaissance in the cities? Is you know, is the city becoming not an attractive place? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I wouldn't put any bets on that personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, w- what technology is is interrupting my life? Nothing really, other than COVID made people go a little crazy and want to flee the city faster. And mm-hmm. and so I you know. Um, the Amish, another guy in from Silicon Valley that that will occasionally mention the Amish too is Curtis Yarvin. I don't know if you're aware of his his work. Um, no. You know, he points out, and and I've I've I find this too that that people have measured the happiness levels of different cultures, and they find that the Amish, and for whatever reason, billionaires have similar happiness levels. <laughs> so you know once again once again it's it's you know you, you look out there at these statistics and and you 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 see that there's there's reasons to think that that the technology is making us uh, less happy less fulfilled and and there's a reason to think that and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of things that the Amish do that, that would shock us. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the Amish get together as a group and they decide which technology to use. And you and I, I can't imagine letting my fellow man have that kind of control over myself. 
But can you imagine what kind of trust a culture has when there's no lawyers? I mean, we can just negotiate about something in, in good faith without getting the government involved, without getting lawyers involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just, I just like pointing to the Amish as, as they're kind of one of my test points. Well, you know, how do they handle the situation? And, and since I've kind of looked into it and talked with some of them, yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by how different groups of Anabaptists and Mennonites, they've separated from each other because they disagreed over which technology to adopt. Hmm. You know, there's, there's a group of Anabaptists that live out in California and they, they allowed the, them to drive vehicles. And, and that's, that was a separating point with some of their other groups. And, and, you know, some of them have started using smartphones and, and technology and things like that. And, but the point is, is that they get together as a group and they decide which technology to use. That's, that's something that's totally the opposite of our kind of libertarian freedom loving, you know, go consume what you want. Um, yeah. Culture. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting. It's like, uh, it's really interesting, you know, you, you say that, and I, and I, I immediately think that, like, you know, part of the reason that I think that is, is because the Amish culture is just smaller in size, too. There, there's less people, like, meeting around it as a group and deciding on anything when you have a group of 300 versus a group of, like, 300,000 is, yeah. you know, it's just, like, untenable at that point. And technology allows that groups of that size to exist, and then it... Um, tries to facilitate ways to get those people to interact yeah. and then you lose all of this 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 human interaction uh that's going on yeah on on the flip side since because of technology their birth rate is so high mm-hmm. that some people project if 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 they continue on their current path that in i don't know if it's 100 years or 200 years their population will outgrow the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I believe this stuff. I'm just telling you what's <laughs> out there, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's because you know because the, the mortality rate of you know their children is low now, technology, and so yeah. Yeah, it's the the catch twenty two of all of these things. You know, nobody wants children to die, but when we invent all of these things and all these medicines and have all this all these systems in place. It allows for the destruction of the natural world, and yeah, and, the, uh, and you read, you know, you read like Linkola or guys like this, and you know, they, they are big into population control and things like that, um, mm-hmm. and 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 perhaps for good reason, you know. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I have that I've thought that through, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's I, I, I guess I'm more of the the uh, Uncle Ted uh, theory that, you know, we just need to have the right people having children. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Have, have, and yeah. so that's why I, I that's why I I'm I'm big into telling people to go start a farm and, and, and stuff like that. And and I think that a lot of people think that it's impossible and I would have thought it was impossible when I was younger. I never, I, growing up, I never thought like, oh, you're going to be a goat farmer someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole other aspect of, of farming and, and goat farming that, that I want to get into. It's that on, when we talk about food, 
people are so disconnected from what it takes to provide them the food they're eating. Right. I think last I looked it up, even the USDA um, says that I think 40% of all food is thrown in the garbage. Mm-hmm. And, and that is so sad to think that there are animals that are living their life and being butchered so that people can throw away their food. Yeah. And it's just another, another reason why I love goats because you know, Americans never really got to goats. Goats have never been a main staple. But for these other cultures, and for our culture hundreds of years ago, it, it was you, you honored your food. You, you had a respect for the animals. You, you used every piece of the animal. You didn't just throw away, um, you know, half, half, half the animal and, and move on with your life. And, and so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think this was going to happen when I started a goat farm. I didn't think that I, it would dawn on me that, that even our food system is so corrupted you know, I can, I can, you know, if you ever come by my farm, I can bring you to some cattle farms down the street. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of cattle in these little pens, you know, fed growth hormones, antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if people in the cities knew the cost, keep them well fed. You know, I, I know, I, I know plenty of people that live in the cities and they're like, well, it's, I got rid of my car, Jesse, you know, I take public transportation, I'm doing everything I can do. Um, living in the city is good for the environment. If they knew <laughs> cost, uh, on, on, you know, rural places so that they could throw away 40% of the food. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the last stat I saw, it was like people are spending 40 years of their life watching um, a screen, staring at a screen. If people knew the cost of of all this stuff so they can, you know, stare at a screen all day and eat food, I, I think they'd be horrified. I think they would. Um, and, I, you know, I would love to give some people th- these tours, you know, I would love to show them, you know, the cost that it, it, it's it's bearing upon our world, just so they can um, be ignorant. And I remember talking to a young girl recently, um, a, a young um, girl whose whose parents are from Mexico, and she was like, yeah, I was I was horrified when my father, you know, killed the goat in front of me. And I just said to her, imagine how horrific if you had no clue the sacrifice that you've been eating meat your whole life and you've Mm -hmm. not once seen that sacrifice, you know? So that's like, that's a whole nother topic that that's opened my eyes more recently is, is the, the food situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause I wanted, I wanted to ask you about that. Cause you know, I know, um, you know, you raise goat meat and you sell it on, on your website. Um, and it's all, uh, it's from, from what I can tell all raised very wholesomely and that that's great. And I love that. Um, I know like I, myself, you know, I, I've definitely seen industrial farming practices as one of the, like the primary components of the tech system that's destroying the planet and, uh, that's hidden away from the public eye so that everyone just keeps feeding it. 
Um, yeah. And so as a result, I became vegan a few years ago. And so I've been vegan for a while, um, not eating, you know, trying to lessen the support for those kinds of industries and stuff. But at the same time, I'm not like, I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with eating meat. Uh, it's the fact that there are all these uh, horrible practices going on that are both harmful to sentient beings uh, in extremely sadistic ways and um, uh, destroying the planet as, as a consequence. Uh, and so I don't know, I, I guess I wondered, did, did you have any like um, thoughts about food when you were still living in the city that, uh, that maybe changed when you started farming goats? Uh, I, I like, did you, or did you have any kind of prior experience with, um, you know, farming practices and how you wanted to do it um, correctly or something like that? No, I had, I had zero, you know, I mean, a lot of people think like you have to have some, some background in this stuff to get into it. I had zero. I mean, my parents grew up in the, in the sixties and, and they, they tried to flee the city. And, mm -hmm. and for me and my brother, they tried to, to raise us on a small farm and it just never worked out for them. You know, they had to get real jobs back in the city and, and I guess I, I never, you know, when I was living in the city, I never thought about any of this stuff. I never, it, it wasn't until I started farming and I started seeing how other people are doing it. Mm -hmm. And I started seeing how <clears throat> there's tons of small farms out there. They're doing it right. And, but there's some people and I don't know if it's low self-esteem or, or it's just some people, the drive for more and more and more and more, um, you know, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but, you know, mm -hmm. I know one farmer out here, when I first met him, he had half as many cattle as he has now, and he's making the same amount of money as he was making when he had half as many cattle. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like our society is telling farmers that you must produce more and more and more to make the same amount of money as you used to. Mm -hmm. And I just, sometimes I just want to sit them down and, and, and say to them, listen, you're a, you're a farmer, you're a hard worker. I understand that you want to produce more and more and more. The people you're producing for, they hate you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're enabling them to live you know, a comfortable life in the city and you're, you're sacrificing your life. I mean, I, uh, the, some of the people, I mean, you've got, you've got guys working on these, at these big industrial feedlots, um, mm -hmm. 10, 11, 12 hour days, six days a week. You know, I don't know many Americans that would work under these conditions. Yeah. And there aren't many, there aren't many Americans working under these conditions, you know, the, the, for the most part, these industrial farms, they're run by immigrants. And it's, it, I, I think that, I think that if more people knew this, that they, they would, they would question, um, what do we, it seems like the, the appetite, I mean, you're a vegan, but it seems like the appetite for meat, it just keeps going up. We, yeah. we as a country make more meat with less animals today than we did 20 years ago. 
so so like there's less cattle in America today than there were 20 years ago, yet we produce more meat. How do we do that? Hormones, antibiotics, you know, packing them in, feeding mm-hmm. them corn, feeding them, you know, a high protein, a high energy diet. Um, there's all these drugs on the market, uh, Optiflex, Silmax, these, 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 um, drugs that it like makes their muscles bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another reason why I love goats because goats are like deer. It would be very hard to confine them and feed them. It would be very difficult to industrialize, um, goats. Interesting. I think that, um, sheep sheep to some extent are kind of in the middle sheep Mm -hmm. are kind of like docile like cattle um so yeah it's just i don't know i I, the whole whole food situation i I think that i think that maybe it's something that that people need to talk about more i know that um plenty of plenty environmentalists are talking about it and and um the book um, that I mentioned earlier, Small Farm Future by Chris Mage, that was mm-hmm. another another good resource on this topic. Um, there's there's another um, group in Britain, I think they're called Cabrito Goats, and they they rescue um, dairy kids and and raise those as, um, as meat goats. And so there's there's people out there doing doing better things, but at the end of the day, you know the world's um, desire for beef and, and, and other products is, um, uh, you know, it can't be satisfied. It just keeps going up. Yeah. 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 Whether it's just, whether it's our appetites or just that the population's going up and even though it seems like, uh, I, I don't know, at least in some areas, California, I'm sure, uh, it's Michigan's doing pretty well now, as far as like offering vegan options and trying to offer alternatives to meat and things like that. And some people have taken it up, but on the whole, yeah, it's still a huge issue through, I, I don't know, I'm just wondering like through, uh, you know, farming goats, it's been a couple of years now, right. Have, uh, uh, what else have you noticed about um, goats in general that you like about that? I don't know if like, is there anything about the way they behave or their uh, kind of like culture or anything like that? Like, I know. I, totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, for me, goats have so much more personality than sheep and cattle. Um, they're very much like deer. Um, the goats I have, they're, they're a bit more feral than other goats. Mm. And there's things that you you learn about the herd that that it's like it's totally different than our culture it's like when people are always like well what do you when when a goat gets sick how do you know one's sick mm-hmm. as soon as a goat gets sick you, you know you'll go out and you'll you'll look at your herd and you'll be like hey there's that goat that's wandered off it's like when a goat gets sick they self-segregate themselves <laughs> you know they don't want to get nobody wants to be near them and, and how so it's quite obvious. Yeah. Yeah. How considerate. It's quite obvious when, when there's something wrong with one of your goats because they're off doing their own thing. Um, I, watching the whole herd and in the culture there and, you know, you change anything, you, you subtract an animal and you add another animal and the whole thing changes, the whole hierarchy changes. Mm-hmm. It's quite a sight to behold. And, and, you know, you'll have, you'll have certain goats that are just, you know, they're always at the top of the hierarchy and, and everyone gives them respect. And then you got some goats that nobody ever likes them. Nobody wants to go near them. And, 
and you got to, you know, end up getting rid of those goats. And, and, you know, it's like at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, I was talking to someone recently, they, they said that they were talking to a rabbit farmer and the, yeah, the biggest issue for the rabbit farmer or getting people into rabbit farming is they're just cute, cuddly little creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, nobody wants to kill a rabbit, you know, they're, yeah. they're adorable. Um, <laughs> but, but it's the idea that I'm, you know, I, I, I breed my goats. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't breed them. They have a purpose and, and it ends up being that all the males go off and get eaten. And most of the females that are good, you know, you end up keeping them and you raise them to a ripe old age and they die out in the pasture. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating watching the herd and the dynamic and, and, you know, you, you have some goats that are, that are, you know, they're living the dream and, mm-hmm. and they're first at the, at the food trough and everyone, <laughs> everyone backs away. And, and another cool thing about um, raising goats is um, to keep them protected from predators. We have, you know, the big white um, Pyrenees goat dogs and, okay. and they're just, it's amazing watching, you know, their you, you raise, they live with the goats, you raise these dogs with the goats and they will not leave those goats side and all night long they're sleeping with the goats and, and keeping them protected. Oh, and, that's great. <laughs> and it's just, I never, I, you know, I never would have, I, I was never this in touch with nature. I was never this in touch with animals. And, you know, I, I think I, 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 I say to people, it's like, I, I don't think I would have had children. I don't think I would have, would have, you know, I don't think I would have thought about having children if I was just dis- still disconnected from nature. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I would have had that drive to start a family if I was, I was st- disconnected from nature. So, so the herd definitely it, it, it gives you a warm and happy feeling. And I love hanging out with the goats and, uh, you know, um, the, you know, in a couple months, it'll be kidding season again and there'll be baby goats running everywhere. <laughs> it's just a good time. It's just a good time. And it's, it's such a good place to raise a child, you know? Um, and is there a ton of money in, in raising goats? No, no, you're going to live a humble life you're gonna live a a pauper's life but but i've never been happier you know so that's great what you know it's like couldn't have been a better endorsement than that (laughs) yeah i mean it's like there's there's more to life than than making money and and i realize that that money is important but it's like I don't, I don't have a big savings account, but I got a pasture filled with goats and, <laughs> and, um, it's hard for the, it's hard for the the government to print goats and inflate the price of goats, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I, I look out on my, on my pasture and that's, that's my savings account, you know? <laughs> that's great. Do you, uh, I, uh, you, know, you bring that up, you know, are there any, uh, you know, is, is it more stressful than you anticipated as far as like, um, you know, the goats are kind of like your livelihood now. Like what if something were to happen to them or I don't know. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. I, I feel like now that, um, now that we're kind of in our fourth year, I feel like I, I can, I can kind of gloat about it and, mm-hmm. and have, have these interviews. And, um, 
there's another YouTube channel that that I watched a bit is uh, the Unism YouTube channel, and the the guy who started that YouTube channel, he went off and and bought some land recently, and I just kept telling him, you know, it's like the first three years were rough. I yeah. mean, you know, there were times there were times when you know I had tears coming down my face, and I'm like, what what have you done? I mean. Mm-hmm there's been really hard times and, and that's when I had to, you know, buck up and and go do some, some menial work down at the farm, down the street. And, and, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot working at other people's farms. I learned a lot about how, how, you know, the beef world works and the cattle industry works. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, do you have a vet? You know, if somebody gets sick, what do you do? I learned this from the cattle industry. If you have a sick animal, you ship them to the auction as fast as you can. You know, sure. it's like people, people that have pets, you know, they'll bring their dog to the vet and they'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. That ain't going to work on a farm. Um, you know, and, and like I said, you know, in, in the, in the cattle world, you get a sick animal, you ship it to the auction that day and you get some money out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of, instead of, sinking medicine into it on the hope that it'll live so so yeah i mean back to back to your question there's there's been some really hard hard times you know hard moments where you know needed to leave the farm and and go work somewhere else and and make a little bit extra money and but i i can say i I tell people you know this it's a if if you want to go start a farm it's a four or five year journey Mm -hmm. don't don't plan on uh having a lot of revenue coming in until your fourth or fifth year. Mm-hmm. And especially if, if you choose livestock, because, you know, we started off with 20, 30 goats, you know, I buy a handful of goats here and there. And, and now after four years, you know, we've been breeding them and breeding them and, and we have, you know, a lot more goats mm-hmm. and, and we've been keeping the, the females every year to, to breed them out the following year. And this next year, we've just got too many goats. I need to start selling females and males, you know. So, so it's it's a struggle. The, the first years are real tough, and you know you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go find some off farm work while you while you build your dream. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, just and and I'm not I'm not the only one. I've every every farmer whose book I've read, they say the same thing. Um, and, you know, we, we have a website where we sell goat meat, but you, you need to have multiple sources. You know, we, we sell goats at the auction. We sell goats on Craigslist. We sell meat on our website. Um, this next year, my wife's going to start trying to make goat soap and, and some candles oh, cool. and other stuff. And, and so, you know, you, you just try to focus on, focus on one thing and then move on to the next and move on to the next. Right. Just keep moving. Is there yeah. any, uh, is there any like big piece of advice or, uh, something that you've learned that you wish you knew four years ago starting up? Uh, you know, it's like, I tell people this, that when you embark on, you know, when I, when I started this, people were like, oh, ostrich eggs are where it's at. <laughs> uh, you should make emus, you know, hops, grow some hops. That's where the money's at. You'll get, um, even within the goat community, you'll get a million different opinions on everything. 
mm-hmm. you know, it's really, you got to try things and figure out what works for you because what works for somebody else might have no bearing on your, your environment. I mean, I cannot imagine starting a goat farm where I grew up in the snow. I I'd want to kill right. myself. I, I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, I, I, if I had to come out every morning and break, I, you know, the waterers, I'd be like, this ain't no life for me. Yeah. So it's like, you know, everyone needs to figure out what's your comfort level. What's, you know, what kind of environment are you, are you most happy in mm-hmm. and, and, and figure out what works for you because you'll get a million different opinions when you talk to people out there about how they did it or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. Yeah. So you gotta figure out. Figure I mean, out my, my biggest, my biggest advice and most people probably think I'm crazy is moving into that camper really for me, at least it, it made me a different person. It really did. Mm-hmm. I was so coddled. I, I was coddling myself living in an apartment, watching TV, doing whatever. And moving into the camper took me out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And it was another one of those things, you know, when I did it, I, I was like, was this the right move, man? I could probably, I can hardly sleep at night. It's like <laughs> with all the traffic going by. And, and that's another reason I found myself driving out to the, to nature. And for, for me, at least that was, that was the biggest thing I can say that I ever did that changed my mindset mm-hmm. that, that it, it forced me to embrace a, a minimalist life. And if you're not a minimalist, farming ain't going to work out for you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, unless you want to become an industrial dystopian farmer or something. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bracing that minimalist lifestyle is the, the, the good first step, you would say. Yeah. For most people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 100% for me. That, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And uh, hopefully more people will get on that train. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, I just before, uh, I know we don't have too much longer, but I just wanted to ask you, um, just to ask you a little bit about your book that you recently yeah. wrote, um, uh, a novel called, uh, the history of, or what, I'm sorry, <laughs> the, yeah, the history of Nicholas and the Oracle of knowledge. Um, oh yeah, there it is. I got a physical copy right there. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, yeah, just I mean, what it's about and why you, why you decided to write it? Yeah. When I, when I started a goat farm. My goal, my other goal was to read a lot more because mm-hmm. I just, it just wasn't something I had time to do. And, and since I, I left Silicon Valley, I've read more books than I read my entire life. And when you start reading books, you, you start thinking to yourself, you know, I, I got some ideas in my head that I want to get out there. And I think, you know, after, after reading uh, Ted and Elul and, and Ganon and, and stuff like that, it's like, I was like, oh, I'm going to write this super intellectual book. <laughs> it's going to be, and it was actually talking to my parents. My, my father was like, nobody, nobody's going to want to read your, your <laughs> manifesto, dude. I mean, he's like, you know, if you want to impact people, fiction, fiction's the way to mm. do it. And thinking about what he said, I was like, you know, He's right. He's right. I mean, there's so many fictional books that I, I can remember that are like, yeah, they had way more impact than uh, reading someone's dissertation. Yeah. And and so I started thinking about 
what kind of book I wanted to write. And, and we had just had our, our second son, um, July of last year. And I, I also, people, people are often saying, well, Jesse, you know, this all worked out for you, but what about your children? Mm -hmm. What kind of story are you going to tell them? How are you going to how are you going to explain to them? Because they're going to want to use this stuff. They're going to want to use smartphones. They're going to want to go on the internet. They're going to want to do stuff like that, like you did when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. And and so part of my thought process was, you know, I want to write a book that explains to them why I did this, why why I went down this road, why I gave up a career in computers to go start a goat farm. And, and so that's what I did. I, I wrote a book that that kind of it, it's it parallels my journey it parallels you know a journey of, of a guy named nicholas who who falls in love with technology and, and 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 gets a job working for these technology companies but kind of sees you know there's there's little pieces of society along the way that you know oh that's interesting what, what when you know why is why is it going down like that and 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 you know, Nicholas moves to the forest and, and, and meets a, a woman and they start a family. And then it's how how does he explain to his children um, why he left that world? And and one of his children ends up getting sucked back into that uh, technological world. And and it goes through his uh, kind of trials and travails with with escaping from that world. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I just I just you know, I was reading a lot and, and writing, I, I, I was writing a lot. I, I, I write some blogs for, um, the Unists. Uh, um, they have a little website and I, I write some blogs there and, and homestead.org picked up one of my articles and, and I was just writing a lot. And I, I, I tell people, cause I'll meet other people that are like, man, I want to write a book too. It's like, I started writing a lot and I wrote kind of two kind of rough stories and then I kind of scrapped them mm-hmm. and I kind of sat down and, and I wrote this book in like a short time. And I was just like, that was, that was the story I wanted to tell. And then mm-hmm. over a couple months I worked on it and updated it. And actually the, the guy who runs the Unison YouTube channel proofread it. And, and um, it was just kind of, uh, you know, a, a passion of mine to 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 write about this, about exactly what we're talking about, yeah. about the struggles of technology and and how how it's used to control society, how how the marketing people, you know, how they'll use all the tricks, the you know, um, urgency, you know, you must buy now, you. You know, it's yeah, kind of like, I like that little that little part you had. I just I just <laughs> saw that uh, last night. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, look at all the likes. Look at all the likes. Oh, we got this. <laughs> we got this uh, guy. He's a professor speaking from authority. Mm-hmm. And and I actually I, I, I don't know that I've ever told this story. I when I started, what got me onto the, that specific topic of the marketing tricks that people use to kind of prey on, on humans own frailty and, and human nature, how, how they, they kind of use our own human nature against us to sell us things. It was during COVID. Um, 
I decided to start my website, heartlandgoats.com, because up until then we had just been selling goats to people, you know, face to face or at the auction. Mm-hmm. And when I when I looked into, well, how do I promote my website? Um, I, I I had an old friend. His name's uh, Paul, and he's he's a pretty big trombone player, mm-hmm. and he. He had this whole, he basically, he runs a lot of Facebook ads mm-hmm. and he was explaining to me all the tricks that go into, you know, sucking people in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and making Click them buy your stuff. And that, yeah. And, and being, yeah, being an engineer, I had no, I was an engineer. I just made technology stuff. I had no idea what the marketing department was doing to to foist this upon people. Mm-hmm. He opened my eyes to the tricks. And, and so that, yeah, I, 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 I had to throw that in the book. It, you know, it just seemed like, it seems like the, the, the corporatists, the capitalists there, they will use, you know, every trick in the book to make humans think that they really need, you know, whatever they're selling. Mm-hmm. And and it's sick. It's sick. It's like, I guess that I, I thought that, you know, being, being like a young libertarian guy, I thought that, I thought that humans were a bit more educated and, and a bit more noble, Mm -hmm. but seeing some of the tricks that, that, um, you know, people are using to run, you know, ads and, and things like that, it's just, it's, it, it literally is like a casino, you know, it's exactly how a casino tricks people into walking up to that slot machine and unloading mm-hmm. their money. And, and, um, it's, it's this desire for people to, it's, it's a desire for people to get their neighbor to gape at them to, you know, look at my stuff, look mm-hmm. at my, you know, look at, look at all this stuff I've acquired. It's the kind of the uh, concept in, um, in some circles, like the, the life of the second hander, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, I mean, it's just all this stuff. It's like, you know, I, I wrote this book as kind of a summary, you know, as to how I, how I got here and, and yeah, you know, I, I hope people read it and, and I, 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 um, you know, I've been promoting it everywhere I can and, and, and people have been buying it and, and everyone who's read it has really enjoyed it. So I, you know, I'm, I'm starting, I, I started working on a sequel recently and, and I'm just oh, going nice. to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep, you know, my plan is to, to keep writing, you know, a book every year or something until I die. And, you know, if, if people, people eventually hopefully get this message. That's great. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I definitely can't recommend the book enough. It's a great heartfelt tale, but also kind of like a modernized 1984, just in the way you describe this Valley of the Silicons. I lo- the terminology you use is, is very clever too. I lo- I lo- I'm loving it. Uh, a big uh, author that inspired me is a guy named Hermann Hess, um, mm-hmm. late, late 1800s, early 1900s. I pretty much read every book he had ever written and, and you'll see elements of that in here. I just, I just loved his kind of youthful storytelling and, and like a, you know, a boy's journey into the world. And, and so he was definitely a huge inspiration. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Siddhartha was a big one for me too. Gr- yeah. Uh, growing yeah. Up. It's, uh, yeah. I tried. Yeah. I mean, the, Siddhartha, I mean, that whole element, how, 
the the young Siddhartha goes to the kind of the the pleasure city and he's with that woman and that was kind of an element I was like man that's I, I loved kind of incorporating that into this book with the the twins and and all yeah. that and yeah yeah I, I'm glad that I'm glad that you 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 read the uh, read most of the book yeah so I'm, I'm gonna be finishing tonight trust me uh just been reading a lot of other stuff too sometimes it takes me a while I'm actually like yeah. I, I'm really not a very fast reader honestly like I, I I've been like studying philosophy and I'm like I'm so slow getting through some of these novels and stuff um yeah me neither it's like some people I, I gave my book to somebody and like they, they call me back oh I finished reading it and I'm like how the hell did you read it so fast yeah. <laughs> it's like I I think that when I read I I'm I'm a slow reader because I'm really trying to take in what the author is telling me same and I yeah. think I think some people just blast through reading material mm-hmm. and I I'd say yeah I'm probably half as you know I take twice as long as most people take to read a book and because I'm savoring every moment of it you know yeah yeah there's definitely value in uh, value in both sides of it. Uh, I, I, I envy the I envy those that can speed read, but uh, you know maybe they're not absorbing these. As yeah, much. I think oh. I think they're not absorbing it. That's my yeah. theory. I think they're not they're not getting it completely. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's some things you can't help but speed read. You know, there's some things that are so good right. that you just you just they're just page turners. But you know, and I I I I really think that you know more people. Since I've written this book, a couple of people have contacted me that, oh yeah, I got the ideas. And and I just I encourage people to to run with them. I mean, I'm not a super creative guy. I mean, my book's fairly creative, but some of these, some of these sci-fi ideas that some people have, I mean, they're just way more creative than I ever could be. And mm-hmm. so I just, yeah, I just applaud people to to it's like embody and live the life that you dream of, you know, mm-hmm. because people are going to see that and, and people are going to want to emulate that. And it's like, I think often people think that nobody's, nobody's doing this. And so I can't do it. And, mm-hmm. and people need to break out of that mold. People need to, people need to step up and, and be leaders, you know? Yeah. Do the things that the Facebook posts are about, not the Facebook, like don't do the Facebook posts. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, I definitely encourage people to uh, read your book as uh, uh, in a, in a slow manner, as a piece of philosophy. I think, I really do think that you're, you're expressing some ideas that are worth uh, uh, sitting and mulling over and uh, contemplating and trying to draw into your own life. Yeah. And like, I remember um, when I, when I gave it to um, Nathan of uh, the Unism channel to proofread, it was like, he, he read it and there was, there was some references that totally went over his head. <laughs> it's like, what is up with this burning effigy thing? And I'm like, bro, it's burning, man. It's <laughs> great. And then I'm like, and then he's like, maybe you should expand on what are these like these rebels that come and and take down these obelisks? What are you getting at there? And I'm, bro, it's 9-11. Come on. <laughs> so it's just yeah i i think uh there's there's a lot of lot in there that uh people can take in and and i 
one of my favorite things when I read books is I love finding new words. And, mm-hmm. and when I, so when I read, I like to write down all the new words I find and, and I put them all in there, you know, I, all the, all the new words that I found in books are all in that book. So, so if, if people want to find some new words in there, they're in there. Yeah, totally. Expand your vocabulary a little bit on top of it. Yeah. Have a nice, enjoy a nice myth and uh, expand your vocab. Um, but yeah, for, for those that aren't aware, uh, um, uh, I'll post the links in the description, but uh, Jesse's offering the first eight chapters for free. Just shoot him an email and uh, you can grab that. And uh, or you can also purchase the book. And if you purchase, you can purchase a physical copy for 50 percent off with the code ATC. Uh, and thanks again for uh, throwing that on there, helping out. Yeah. And we haven't, you know, it's, we haven't launched, I've just been self publishing and self releasing it. We haven't launched it on Amazon or any of these book services. So, I mean, maybe someday I'll, I'll go down that dark road of the, <laughs> the Kindle platform, but right now we're just selling ourselves and, and, you know, we've got a digital copy and a physical copy and, and I've gotten a couple comments from people that are like, man, I'm, I'm glad you're selling a digital EPUB, you know, copy. I don't have to go to, you know, Amazon and get one. And mm-hmm. so, so I hope people appreciate that as well. Yeah, I think they do. I think we need to hop off of Jeff Bezos's train for, uh, yeah. for a minute, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, the, the only people that are going to dislike dislike this book are Jeff Bezos and Zuckerberg and and these kind of guys. They're not going to like it much, but yeah, no. But they are the ones that most need to read it, probably. <laughs> probably, probably, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'll. Uh, um, I don't want to keep you from your family and the goats for too long. Uh, thanks again for uh, coming on and talking with me for a while. Is there anything, uh, any last words of advice or any message you want to send to the public before uh, we sign just, off? Just no. I mean, I appreciate the Anti Tech Collective and what you guys are doing, and I applaud it. You know, I I love Chad Haig and David Scrubina and all. You know, West Northwest had great gave a great interview with you guys recently, and. And, you know, I, I love your website, what you guys are doing is just keep, keep pushing ahead, Griffin, and, and just uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Because, you know, myself and, and guys like you were an important part of the step for people to get the hell out of the, the dystopia that Silicon Valley wants for the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. Thank you very much for the support. And uh, yeah, we hope we um, hope we want to support you as well. And uh, hopefully we can talk to you again one day. Maybe we'll talk some more about your book and another time uh if you need to be down for that awesome awesome cool well uh thanks again jesse and uh we'll uh catch you later i guess